welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Okay, great. Hey, welcome back. And we have a new year. We have a new decade. We have new everything. We have Rich Helpy back in the in the studio. I'm really happy to have you. I understand you had a great holiday season um, and a lot of fun, right? It was a great time for family and reflection and uh, good to see you, Brian. I hope you had a great holiday as oh, well. Couldn't have been better. So since we last recorded the podcast, lots happened. So we need to recover some things here. Uh, the impeachment... Um, you know, uh, the impeachment vote took place in the House, and uh, the Inspector General's report came out, and we signed new trade deals with Mexico and Canada. So um, I'm just going to turn it over to you, and let's try to get our arms around what's going on and where we're headed. But maybe a little recap would be great. All right. Well, great. Thanks, Brian. Uh, our country has solvable problems um, and also has tremendous opportunities that we can seize. And if you look at the history of the country, we've always risen to the occasion. Um, and we've d done it in different ways. And my sense right now is that we've reached the end of partisan party politics as a means to get anything done. There's way too much energy, way too much attention spent away from our common interests, and it's instead being spent on division. Um, and I, I'm a believer that in the long run, the, the entire matter, everything, that, every opportunity we have can be seized and every problem solved uh, simply num with two things. Number one, uh, insist that the people we elect actually work on policy matters. Hey, that's that, an idea. Yeah, it's, let's, let's <laughs> not spend it attacking each other. And, and also importantly, tell uh, the, quote, news sources to quit offering up fear-mongering um, and sensational attack stories. They're just getting people annoyed and whipped into a lather. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've covered on this podcast ideas on health care insurance, on guns, immigration, tax policy, student debt, and other issues. And these are not meant necessarily to be absolute solutions. Um, I don't claim to have all the answers, but at least a starting point for real concrete discussions on the issues and the policy responses themselves. Um, and in coming weeks, we're going to take on trade, uh, privacy, big tech antitrust, physical infrastructure, voting integrity. Oh, good, good. I was hoping we get around to that. And, and others. And yeah. uh, Brian, uh, I, I've heard from lots of people, some folks I hadn't heard from in a long time. And um, invariably they'll say, you know, it's really interesting to listen to you, but I got to tell you about this part I don't like. <laughs> and I said, well, great. It's working as design. Exactly. If you hear from both sides, we're doing all right. right? Yeah. That, I, I said, there's something for everyone to dislike about every policy idea. Um, because if I'm convinced of anything, it's this, that no manner of logic and no magnitude of insult is going to bring someone from one pole to the other. They're going to be there. If they're going to be there, they're going to be there. Right? Exactly. Um, look, does anybody really think that the outcome of the 2020 election in our current condition is going to make a difference? You know, we're going to see another close election, yep. no matter which way it goes. Yeah. And do we really want to come out on the other side in this bitter divide, yeah. whether 
your side won or the other guy's side You know, at least won. I'm hearing conversation out there, and um, it, 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 I'm hearing a little bit of conversation that says people are getting really tired of that polar extreme. So, um, you know, if our podcast and the popularity of what you've been saying um, is any indication, that's really true because some of the comments that I'm getting are very positive, and there's a lot of people out there in the middle that say, man, I like listening to this. This makes sense to me. Yes. Well, there's there's many voices, I think, that are coming there. And we're going to get uh, the type of government and the type of media that we accept. And that if we insist on better behavior from our elected representatives and media coverage with integrity, uh, I, I think that's the way out of this morass. Uh, so we need to insist on that better behavior. Um, the way that we allow partisans to behave by cheering for one side or the other, by attacking our neighbors and even our family for their political views, and by sucking up the muck from the media led to the election and possibly the re-election of Donald Trump as president. Mm -hmm. Trump just didn't arrive on a scene where, gosh, everything was going great and we were a united country. Yeah. Um, he stepped into this partisan divide and, and don't you think he was a result of that? I, I think you and I talked about this last year where you thought, and it was a great quote, you said, Trump was coming. Whether it was Trump or not, somebody like that was coming, and maybe a populist guy or something like that, because people were uh, so divided. It was so polarly divided. It, it, yes, the neither political party was stepping up to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And so people looked at it and said, you know, I'm going to give a big middle finger and that middle finger is going to be in the form of Donald Trump. I don't think anybody said, you know, this is the kind of behavior we want to see from a U.S. president. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm interested if you can look back when when he was elected first. Um, do you remember when Rich Helpy when it, when when Rich Helpy went? You know, this guy could win because at some point it was funny, and then it was. When, when did you say this guy I, could win this? I never thought he was going to win. All the way through election I'll, night. I'll, all the way through <laughs> election night. I I just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was I was surprised. Yeah. And I had one narrow uh, path where he would get 271 electoral votes mm -hmm. uh, that he would have had to win New Hampshire and it would have come down to Nevada late at night. He lost both those states. Never ever imagined that Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania uh, would go for Trump the way they did. Yeah, but in retrospect, you knew why. I mean, I don't think Hillary stopped through until the last day or something. There, there's right? a there's a lot of that, yeah. and uh, I remember saying when Trump got the Republican nomination, I, I, the good result for that was well, that'll you know shatter the establishment of the Republican Party, mm -hmm. and, and it has. Yeah, uh, and as, as I've said before, the Republicans are just bewildered. Uh, they're winning but maybe don't like the way that they're winning yeah. or who they're winning behind and can't really trust what he might do when you walk out in the meeting. <laughs> and and then in the general election, the only thing that uh, good came out of it was that it, it really you know stuck a spear in the side of the uh, Democrat Party establishment. Uh, I still think they don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. um, and, and frankly, you know, Washington, where the parties reside, and the media complex is very, very isolated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the people that are in Washington call it, quote, our town. And I'm thinking, I thought it was the people's town. Yeah. Um, you have media reporting from their enclaves, and they're, uh, 
they're on that New York to Washington line, and they're somewhat, uh, uh, you know, centered around uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Well, they go into Iowa, and they've been doing it recently, um, looking into that uh, first primary. All the coverage seems like, look, we're going into Iowa. It's a small restaurant, and it's cute here. Everything's cute and in this quaint. They're so out of touch of what's going on in the middle of the country. Absolutely, and and so when I look, we talk about polarization, and so we've just had a an absolute watershed event occur in the country. Mm-hmm. Something that you think would unite us, and, and of course, I'm talking about the Inspector General report lays out in very stark detail severe and systemic issues within the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Uh, This is the FISC, as it's referred Mm -hmm. to under the FISA legislation, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. I always chuckle the next morning when I get a a text from you that, have you read the report? And I won't know, and you have. Yeah, well. (laughs) You you seem to get to that stuff. Well, well, it's because that's, you can't rely on the media filters. Yeah. Um, and, And in fact, when the, Inspector General's report came out. Uh, James Comey was out giving interviews saying he was vindicated. Um, and I went over to CNN and I don't know if you pronounce his name, Lemon or Limon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said complete vindication. And then Inspector General Horowitz testifies and he sa- asked that question. And he said, quote, no one who touched this is vindicated. Yeah. But, but look at the reporting. And think about people that don't have the time to read these reports. 99% of the population, maybe. So they're listening to their favorite news feed tell them what it said, right? And what yeah. it meant. And look, the FBI lied to the court to get surveillance. All right. And remember that the surveillance picked up others, all right, which is now known as unmasking. The, we haven't heard the rest of that story mm-hmm. yet. So, so you have the private conversation of a presidential campaign that are spied on or surveilled or listened in, not once approved, but four times, including after the FBI knew the information that supported the warrants was bogus. Mm -hmm. It's right there in the IG's report. And that the FBI falsified documents to get further warrants. And then you have former director Comey says, he didn't know about it. This is the highest profile, highest priority investigation. Remember, he said the integrity of our elections were at stake. Remember, he went in to brief the new president sure. that what's in this dossier that he now that we now know that he knew was fake. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, come on, and, and one would think that there would be absolute outrage, no matter where one stood on the political spectrum. But there doesn't seem to be. Yeah, look, I'm, I don't claim to be a historian, mm-hmm. right? But I, I, and I'm not, I know I'm not going to pronounce his name correctly. That's but okay. There's a story, uh, a Lutheran pastor by the name of Martin Nim, Nimmuller, mm-hmm. who. All the German, uh, our G- German audience members are turning around. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Just go with us on this. Yeah, that, that they, he enthusiastically welcomed Hitler's Third Reich. Um, and according to the Holocaust Encyclopedia, a turning point in Niemöller's political sympathies came in January 1934. He had a meeting with Adolf Hitler, with himself, and two prominent Protestant bishops to discuss the state pressures on the churches. 
at the meeting, Nimmerler realizes that his phone has been tapped by the Gestapo, the German secret state police. As they're apt to do. It, it was also clear that the pastor's emergency league, which he had helped found, was under close state surveillance. Following the meeting, Niemöller will come to see the Nazi state as a dictatorship and one that he would oppose. Okay, yeah. So when people are looking at, oh, it was okay that the FBI and our intelligence agencies broke the law to look in on a presidential campaign, hey, I'm not a Republican, I don't like Trump, I want to remind them of what uh, Pastor Niemöller said mm -hmm. at that time. He said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. So the takeaway is that Nimler thought that the Gestapo was doing a great job mm -hmm. until the surveillance was turned on he and his organizations. Yeah, yeah. And by then, it was too late. So this should not be a partisan issue. This should be universal outrage in a free society that the very powerful investigative arms of the FBI and the intelligence agencies were turned against private citizens. Now, and we have all the protections to make sure this is, isn't abused. They knew what the protections were mm. and they lied and went around it and did it repeatedly. And that does seem to get breezed over in the, um, in the mainstream media on both sides, uh, what the FBI had done wrong in that, you know, the eight points that, you know, while we, you know, we were wrong here. 17. 17, 17 okay. <laughs> points that are laid out, yeah. and I encourage anybody to just read the executive summary yeah. and, and try to hold your outrage and imagine instead of Carter Page's name, mm. it was your own name. Mm -hmm. See if you'd like it. Well, I think what we'll do, and we'll tell the audience this too, um, in this new year uh, in January, this month, um, there's going to be the first uh, Common Bridge a newsletter that'll be on the website too. And I will, we'll put a link to that IG report. So uh, we talk about this here and we'll put a link out there and we encourage you to read it. If you can't find it, you can find it at, uh, at, at richardhealthy.com. And so there's, there's a couple of things I'd like to touch on um, lightly today. And we'll come back to these, but um, mm -hmm. the cornerstone of our democracy is the ability to cast a vote. And even with all the bad behavior that we see from all sides, uh, that they continue to uh, be sensitive to how the voters will react. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I do believe that by and large, our voter integrity is good. But what would you, you hear uh, people saying that, um, that if we increase the requirements for identification, um, that that is going to prevent uh, in-person voter uh, impersonation and that would increase public confidence in the election process, that we really need to get to better identification 
than the things that we had in 1930. Mm -hmm. That sets off alarms sometimes with some folks about identifying a voter. Right, exactly, because opponents will say that there's little fraud and that the burden on voters unduly restricts their right to vote Mm -hmm. and it imposes unnecessary costs and administrative burdens on the um, elections administrators. Mm -hmm. Both both valid points, by the way. I agree, and on on the surface, uh, everybody voting is a good thing. Um, And on a partisan side, though, um, it truly... Um, the, the, the left will understand that they need to get a lot more people to come out. So they're going to be a lot more vocal about how we measure up those people and how, how, how qualified, or th- that we're even qualifying them to vote. If it was up to them, they would have everybody. But it should look, it shouldn't be a left right issue. Okay. Everybody gets, right. everybody gets to vote once and once only. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, until they're dead, then they have to stop voting. All right. <laughs> so I, I, I think that. Uh, a photo ID is the way to go um, because there's only three things really required to vote. Okay, who are you? Where do you live? And are you of the age? Now, there were a few things that will exclude you from voting, like you know, you're not a citizen, mm-hmm. um, and until recently, uh, perhaps you were a felon. But now, most states have some means of allowing felons to vote, including some that are still in incarceration. Really? Yes. Okay. And so. Um, we do have a broad-based right to vote. Um, photo IDs can be issued in a matter of minutes. I know when I go to most major cities uh, and I'm going into a building, the building security makes a photo ID for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they store that image. And when I go back to that building again, they they know it's me. It's not someone else coming in, you know, picking up my ID. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because of the data systems we have, and this is dangerous, but background facial, facial recognition comparisons would find duplicates. So if I voted in my hometown in Michigan mm-hmm. and then attempted to go across the border into Ohio and vote as another name, the facial recognition would catch that. But facial uh, recognition troubles a lot of people. In it, it, it does. But look, airlines right now are allowing you to board a plane using your face as your pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as I've said in an earlier podcast, that uh, at Border Control, it, it's facial recognition, right? They compare your face with the picture on your passport. So I think voter integrity is a thing that everyone should want. And we don't want to exclude the um, you know, 95-year-old person who's been voting since they were 21 and doesn't have a driver's license anymore. But, you know, they're identified today by, they have a utility bill. Sure. They have uh, someone that says this is who they are. Great. Do that same process. Now issue a, on the spot, a photo ID. Right. And now they only, they vote one time, one place. And if that photo shows up someplace else, now we know we've got a duplicate problem. There you go. And so we would have a, at least at that point, we would have integrity of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would provide a front end count for the number of votes that are tallied in that place. Right. So there, this to me is a logical solution. It should satisfy everybody. Everybody gets to vote and they get to vote one time. Mm-hmm. And to your earlier view, if the Republicans believe that uh, high turnout is going to harm them, they need to get on to policies that will attract those votes and say, we have 
we this is the reason you should vote for us. Mm-hmm. All right, if you are a traditional uh, Democrat voter. All right, and and so and and, and vice versa as well. Yeah. But but I was just kind of responding to your point. Um, instead of saying you can't vote and we'll slip by, everybody gets to vote and got to make policies that appeal to the majority, and that uh, hopefully the person that wins the electoral college becomes president. Nobody questions it. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for the for for the comments. And we'll wrap that up for for this week. And um, folks, just you know, again, happy new year, happy happy new decade, and we look forward to some really exciting things with Common Bridge this year, including um, first newsletter that comes out this month, uh, some now guests on the podcast, which will be great. Um, And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Rich. All right. Thanks, Brian. Always good to see you. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.